0: This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer San Diego.
1: Welcome, 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 Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. And what a time is being had in Washington, D.C. It is fascinating to watch. We'll get into some of the details and... um, also in a few moments we'll talk with dr paul kangor uh, dr Kengor is of course a professor over at grove city college great guy prolific author he's got a piece up at american spectator on uh cardinal Ratzinger, also known as pope benedict and uh, perspective on that we'll get an update the um uh, pope Benedict, Pope Emeritus Benedict, his funeral is Thursday, uh, in Vatican City, and we're down to one Pope, uh, one Pope. We'll talk about it in the next, uh, well, I'll mention to you, um, at the end of the program too, I'll go into more detail. It's time for an African Pope. That sounds kind of funny, but it's true, and there's lots of reasons why, Mo- mostly because the African, uh, Catholics are more conservative and won't be as prone to silliness as some of the others all over the world. So we'll talk about that. But first, what you need to know about what's going on in Washington, D.C., there have been many comparisons to what's happening in Washington, D.C. to um, the old days. I heard this on um, uh, Fox News Channel. I also got a friend that sent me a text about it, that in the old days, a presidential Campaigns, you would end up at a convention and there would be a convention with multi-multi ballots um, and uh, ballots that were going on and on and on, trying to pick who should be the nominee. And it wasn't a foregone conclusion. The last 50 years or so, it's a foregone conclusion. Whoever gets to the convention in both parties ends up the nominee. But in the old days, probably until about, really about nineteen forty maybe a little bit earlier, you could go to the convention and there would be these ballots and there would be in the at a certain point, there would be a a no clear winner. And therefore, you would have to go back and cut a deal, cut a deal. That's kind of what, um, uh, what is happening in Washington. If you watch, if you watch any of the coverage, um, you notice that there is not any consensus. Nobody's moving. There's no negotiation so far, um, to change what's happening. There's uh, enough members who are resisting Kevin McCarthy that it's almost impossible to imagine a breakthrough, which means what's next? And as I said on an interview earlier today, there's only two ways, two, there's only two, I only see two paths forward. One is that an establishment type replacement gets floated for McCarthy. And so someone like Scalise or Lee Stefanik, someone who is known and uh, managed by the big money that invested in Kevin McCarthy, is pushed forward by those folks to take his place. Because you're talking about groups and people that have spent 50, a hundred million dollars invested in the process. They're not going to walk away from that investment. So the only other option, the only other option is some kind of deal, some kind of deal where the 20 or 19 folks get in a room and cut a deal. But here's the problem. It's been so public that I don't think that the deal make that the, the 19 or 20 can cut that deal because they will be forever branded as kind of sellouts it's in other words it's too public it's not like uh in, in, in back behind a closed room in a you know in a smoke-filled room this is a, a public in a in a twitter hangouts or whatever that's called twitter you know it, it, it's it's hard to imagine how you could sort of put this thing away in a way that people would feel good about it so everybody's kind of caught in a box and Byron Donald, the um, congressman from Florida, he's in his second term, uh, was reelected uh, t- after his first term ended this year. Reelected, and he so he when this when this session starts, he'll be in his second term. So he's a young guy. He served in the state house, I believe, in Florida. Happens to be African American. Pretty good guy. Very good on TV. Well, he's been floated as the alternative, but even he was asked, "Do you think you can get there?" And he said, "Probably not." In other words, it's going to have to be someone else. If it's not McCarthy forced through, it's going to have to be someone else. And who is that? Jim Jordan has resisted. Um Scalise so far has resisted. I, I'm not sure what happens, but, you know, it is incredible to see it play out. Now, I am of the mind, what you need to know, I'm of the mind that this is not bad. It's not bad. I'm not sure how long it can go on before it gets to be kind of silly um, but after six ballots I think I saw one of the ones when I, 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 I looked and said nobody's moving nobody's moving um, and therefore what happens next they keep adjourning um, and what happens next um, I you know Donald Trump weighed in and said cut a deal you know let's get it done let McCarthy do it and um, the uh, the uh, the reality is there's nowhere to go so how long does this go on we'll see we'll see but i don't think any of it's bad to be honest the country wants to see that somebody is standing up to the swamp and i think the country is is watching a group of republicans appear to stand up to the swamp and so if they can find a way to have something unexpected happen I think they may get credit for standing up to the swamp. That's the idea. I mean, that's got to be the idea. At this point, that's your best hope going forward is to say, hey, we were doing something to stand up to the swamp and we did it. Now, um, now give us a chance to give us a chance to go forward. Uh, But I will point out to you again, and I had this conversation, I was up on Capitol Hill yesterday, um, that the, the speed with which the American people and especially conservatives are sick of. The establishment and the swamp the speed with which that happened is unbelievable i mean people now are just palpably sick of it they don't like mccarthy they don't like mcconnell they don't like anything of the swamp and and it's 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 kind of happened since the um since the 1.7 trillion dollar spending bill i think or somehow i don't know just that the holidays turned and people turned on the on the uh, on the the folks in power And so we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. But um, Newt Gingrich was on TV the other night railing on uh, Republicans to get over it. Um, You had uh, Donald Trump weigh in. You have others say it's not working. It's not working. And so, in fact, it seems to be working the other way that they're digging in even more. So what you need to know is there's no way out. But it's not bad. That's my opinion. It's not bad. It's only bad. If they end up getting rolled, if the rebels end up getting rolled, then it'll be bad. But if the rebels end up getting something different than what was expected, it will look like uh, they accomplished something, no matter what that is. By the way, one more thing that you need to know, what you need to know right now is Matt Gates is standing up for what he believes. I think he's also... <laughs> rehabilitating himself you know he was kind of on the ropes they they made they leaked all kinds of things about him and said he was going to be charged with crimes and all and it was all nonsense but he's basically rehabbed himself through this process he is now sort of the leader the leading face standing up uh to what's happening and it's been very very good for him i mean almost almost like nothing you could ever expect uh from him in terms of uh benefit to him personally i mean i would say matt gates is the leader of the opposition right now it's not chip roy it's not even lauren Boebert. it's um it's matt gates and so insofar as he was sort of on the ropes because he was uh because he was being attacked or they were leaking that he was going to be charged with something um that's gone and he's kind of broken away from that and gotten through it. So that's kind of cool. All right. That's what you need to know right now. We're going to talk in a few moments to uh, to uh, our friend Paul Kangor. We'll talk about uh, Cardinal Ratzinger, also known as Pope Benedict the Sixteenth, who passed away in the last week or so. And he's uh, written a piece over at the American Spectator, which we'll post over there because there is later this week. There's a funeral uh, and uh, we will get to that. And, uh, let's see. What else do we have? Oh, don't forget, please go to dot com. Sign up there for the daily email that goes out Monday through Friday, getting more and more popular. We're up to close to 50,000 people who are listening, who are getting the emails we send out at the Pro America report um, and the daily wink is a big part of it so you want to sign up there if you want to it's free totally free if you want to sign somebody else up uh, you should forward to them the link it's hard to sign people up for uh, the thing on your own because we will get dinged for spam problems so send the link to folks let them sign up and uh, we'll make sure they get on the list that's the best way to do that and um, you can also send me an email directly uh, ed at phyllis Ed edit phyllis com if you want to be added to the list I will do that uh, manually forwarded onto our team and get that done. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Don't forget ProAmericaReport.com ProAmericaReport.com to sign up, sign up for the Daily Wink. Be back in a moment. Welcome back, welcome back, Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. I mentioned a day or two ago a piece uh, by Paul Kengor. Uh, Paul Kengor, of course, is up at Grove City College, a professor there and a prolific author on every I don't know every topic from uh, communism and uh, and Reagan. I remember one of the things uh, uh, Paul that I uh, admire is the one on Judge Clark, uh, the the great uh, uh, leader in the country who was so close to Ronald Reagan. But I tell you, I'm sure you're going to like this. Professor Kangor is going to like when I say this. I've now, I think it's two different of your former students who in the last maybe six or so months contacted me unrelated to being in school with you because they're doing conservative things. Uh, one was doing a, a documentary, another one was uh, doing some sort of research. So uh, your students are, are the, the Kangor diaspora is uh, is ongoing. <laughs> so <laughs> happy new year to you. <laughs> Welcome back. And I'm sure that yeah. makes you proud.
2: Well, thank you. As head of the Ken Gore diaspora, I didn't know there was such a thing, but I'll take it. <laughs>
1: yeah, there you go. There you go. Every professor, I think, probably. That's a good one. But OK, so um, uh, happy New Year to you. And in the new year, we have the news that uh, Pope Benedict uh, passed away. And then, you know, your the piece that you wrote, which I put up on social media. One of the things I thought was I think you would use the term the strange era. We've had uh, two Popes, one Pope Emeritus and then, of course, Pope Francis. Uh, and it, it has been strange and And it's been odd. And in some ways, um, you know, Pope Benedict's uh, passing, it it sort of ends that, which is, I think, probably welcome to a a lot of uh, uh, Catholics. You think I'm you see what I'm saying? What do you think?
2: Oh yeah, absolutely. In fact, it was I think February eleventh, uh, twenty thirteen, that, that 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 Pope Benedict the sixteenth shocked the world by announcing that he was resigning, and and this would be the first pope to resign in literally about six hundred years. In fact, I think the previous one was maybe Gregory the seventh, maybe back to like fourteen fifteen, and and what was really strange about the whole thing, Ed, not just the fact that that it was the first time in six centuries that this happened. But Gregory, back in 1415, he he resigned and retreated back to his monastery. Yeah, right. uh, went went back to his order where he was before. But in this case, Benedict the Sixteenth announced that he would be taking the title Pope Emeritus. And in fact, the father Federico Lombardi, who was a papal spokesman from the Vatican's office, even said that that he would be living in the Vatican, and that he would be addressed by the by the title His Holiness, which which right. had, which had to have made even some like someone like Cardinal Jorge Bergoglio, um, <laughs> you know, wonder about that. And and then when Bergoglio was selected as Pope in March 2013, about a month later, that meant that. That there were, in effect, you know, sort of two popes, or at least two men in the Vatican with Pope in the title, Pope Francis and, and Pope Emeritus Benedict. And I, and I think a lot of people, too, Ed, you, you and I, you know, we're, we're from this world, they probably thought, well, you know, Benedict, he was Cardinal Joseph Ratzinger before that. He's a scholar. He's an academic, right? I mean, Emeritus, yeah, it's like Professor Emeritus, right? right I right, mean, that's right. a kind of a, a, right, that's a sort of honorific title. That you get among scholars and academia. But in his case, and if you go back and you read some of his statements, his final general audience statement, which I think was around maybe like February 27th, 2013, something like that, he talked about how he wasn't really totally giving up his ministry completely. He would have this prayerful role in what he called, you know, the, the quote unquote Petrine ministry. You know, that's the ministry of the chair of St. Peter. Uh, Catholics believe that Peter was the first pope. So, so in, in a way, and, and I, I could just start rattling off for you all kinds of names of scholars, you know, Vaticanistas, Vatican journalists, uh, Horowitz, uh, Jason Horowitz in the New York Times wrote a piece in 2018 talking about how you know Benedict really hadn't stepped down from the papacy completely. So for over the last almost 10 years, you know, 2013 until what uh, New Year's Eve, 2022. We had sort of two popes, so yeah. so now indisputably there is just one pope, and it's Pope Francis alone.
1: Is um is that is that confusion? Um, and we're talking again with uh, Dr. Paul Kangor at Grove City College and uh, an author. Um, is that is the confusion that became uh you know a confusion by people? You'd say the faithful or non uh, faiths, you know, non Christian, non Catholic. Um, the confusion though. It, whether wherever it stems from was is real is that was that I mean, I don't know. Was it his fault? I mean, I know it, it was possible to resign. And I think in your piece, you refer to, we don't really know. You can never know, uh, the reasons, whether it's in his, in his own, uh, heart and soul or in his assessment of his duties. I mean, uh, but it, 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 it does feel like some people, um, who had had such esteem for Cardinal Ratzinger's career, he had been a extraordinarily effective and interesting and, and Catholic theologian, and then had worked uh, so closely with John Paul II in so many ways that I think people felt were uh, profound. You know, the Catechism, all these things. Um, th- this this sort of capping of his his life in the Church, it it, it kind of felt um, it, it felt bad. It, it didn't feel good.
2: Yeah, no, I agree, and especially this man who was committed to orthodoxy, right? I mean, you would expect him not to do something as unorthodox and even radical and maybe would progressive be the right word, right, as as to go and resign the papacy. But then again, he had had seen over the previous, if to do my math, uh, 27 years, 1978 to 2005, he saw his predecessor, John Paul II, decline in the office to the point where he really couldn't do the job. Right. I mean, well, right. I, actually, he could, but, but physically, he was in really bad shape. And he didn't want to go through that himself. Now, ironically, he ended up living another 10 years. And yeah. for a while there, I mean, we, we thought, I mean, you might have thought this too, we thought he was going to outlive Pope Francis. In, in fact, my, my friend, uh, I, you know him too, John Gizzy of Newsmax, uh, wrote a piece in December 2021, so about a year ago, talking about how at the Vatican they were already preparing for the death of Pope Francis in 2022. So wow. so it was really looking like 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 Ratzinger, uh, Benedict the Sixteenth was going to outlive uh, Bergoglio Francis, but 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 that's not the case, and I, I didn't one of the most striking things to happen in all of this, I mean, maybe literally striking, was 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 when two lightning bolts uh, struck the Vatican within hours after the resignation of Benedict the Sixteenth. And people listening now are probably thinking, "Oh, come on, is he is he serious?" Yeah, look it up. Look it up. It was widely widely reported. You know, the, the lightning hit the Vatican twice, it hit St. Peter's twice, yeah. uh, hit the yeah. dome of St. Peter's when when he was. And so, you know, a lot of people thought, you know, is that a heavenly sign, a sign of disapproval? Uh, I I don't know. Perhaps so. But but it was, um, it led to this 10 year period of um, ironically, sort of, right, two popes, quote unquote. Um, Dr. Paul Kengar is our guest.
1: I, I don't want to uh, only uh, talk about that because I, I, I also um, in your piece, you refer to, again, Cardinal Ratzinger, um, his career, his life is it's not his not career. His life is um, his uh, priesthood um, was extraordinary. And you referred in, the, in that to a I think it was the homily. Was it the homily at the at, at the John Paul II? um uh, John Paul II at, at his funeral, maybe even, but uh, uh, maybe I'm maybe I misremembered. Right around that but, time,
2: yeah, it was, it was prior to prior to the opening of the conclave. Okay, um, okay. after the death of John Paul II, that would uh, that would lead unknowingly right to the um, election of, of Ratzinger as the next pope. So he spoke and, but, prior but, but, yeah, to but, that, but, but,
1: and and then so in that homily, he referred to the dictatorship of relativism, relativism, right. and here's what I wanted to point to is Cardinal Ratzinger came of age in Vatican II. Early in his career, he would have been actually sort of known as as more liberal. I think uh, you can help me clarify. It. Mm-hmm. Over yeah, the long, yeah. long arc of his uh, uh, of his life and his uh, sort of um, writings, he is a a major figure in 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 some ways all the char- charisma. And I don't mean to diminish John Paul II, Saint John Paul II's. Uh, uh, you know his. own, own vision. Uh, but he had behind him the theologian who who really identified what the um, the last 25 years of of the last century were where we were in terms of relativism, in terms of the the, the threat to uh, understanding uh, transcendent, you know, the transcendent nature of of human creation. And he was extraordinary.
2: Yeah, in fact, I, I think that he will end up at becoming a a, a formal and official doctor of the church, mm, and, wow. and there aren't very many of those. I think there's yes. maybe thirty mm-hmm. two, thirty three over two thousand years of church yes. history. But it, but he was the scholar's scholar, and you know, John Paul II was, was a scholar too, philosopher, moral philosopher. His area was was the area of, of, of phenomenology, um, mm-hmm. but but Ratzinger too was was this. Son, even more so. In, in fact, he took as his papal motto the beast of burden. He, he really didn't want to be Pope. He wanted to step down after John Paul II or even before John Paul II when he, when head of the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith. He wanted to write books. He wanted to write books about Jesus, about, about the Church. He was an academic, and he really didn't want the papacy. But, but it was what he was called to do, and he did it for eight years, 2005 to 2013. And I guess he felt that he was called, too, to resign it in 2013. Personally, um, looking back at the confusion under the papacy of of Francis, I I, I, I wish that that Benedict had not stepped down, but he did. and, And nonetheless, and he went on to live for another almost 10 years after that. It is um, well. I think that's
1: an interesting uh, comment about the doctor of the church. I do think, as you point out, as as the as as history looks back on uh, the long uh, the long the length again the length of his um, uh, public life, uh, Cardinal Ratzinger and then uh, Pope Benedict, it will be extraordinary. All right, uh, Dr. Paul Kengor, um, his piece is over at the American Spectator. I will put it up uh, the link up uh, on social media. I'm sure you'll be watching the rest of this week's uh, the the funeral uh, mass and uh, and some of the other coverage and uh it's uh, certainly um an interesting time thank you for your perspective
2: yeah ed, sh- anytime ed thanks
1: thank you dr paul kangor we will uh, take a break we'll be right back it's ed martin here on the pro report back in a moment Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Well, he never rests, even for holidays. Even for holidays. It's not, I'm not talking about Santa. I'm talking about Todd Bensman. Todd Bensman at the Center for Immigration Studies, the senior national security fellow, author of uh, uh, hundreds and hundreds of articles and posts, a couple of books we'll mention in a moment. Uh, welcome, Todd. First of all, I mean, they do it to you, right? Because on Christmas Eve, or maybe the 23rd, the Biden administration, I guess they had held the, the, the data, but they dropped the data. It doesn't matter why. Or, I mean, we know why. They didn't want anybody talk about it but Todd Benzman is tell me what what do these numbers show
3: well the numbers uh, again are just you know horrific uh two hundred and six thousand uh it's a, a a bit more than last month 204,000, uh two hundred and four thousand two hundred five thousand apprehensions at the border that's just again for October and November I mean November is two, two, 206,400. and six thousand four hundred and Eleven four hundred and twelve thousand for just the last two months. Uh, that does not count the gotaways, which are not accounted for in the public data. But uh, I have Border Patrol friends who see those and tell me that uh, we should be able to tack another seventy seventy five thousand a month onto those numbers. So another hundred and fifty thousand. Wow, we're looking at you know. 500, 600,000 in just the last two months. So, I mean, it is on. <laughs> you know, it's definitely not alleviating. And uh, with the advent of um, the announcement that Title 42 will go away, uh, we're already seeing, uh, you know, record numbers crossing uh, the southern border to we'll be looking at 12,000 to 18,000 a day for December.
1: Uh, we're, again, we're talking with Todd Bensman, the Center for Immigration Studies. Um, I, I, so two questions about this. One, um, one. Uh, well, uh, let me ask you a second question first. The second question is, uh, Bill Malusian, who's over at Fox, um, tweeted about this at about 8 o'clock uh, East Coast time on December 23rd. And he wrote, breaking in a blatant Friday evening news dump going into the Christmas weekend, the federal government has released the November border numbers. And then he recounted the numbers. The interesting thing about this is it was retweeted by, uh, um, Elon Musk. And my point there is this, this is my, I'll go back to my first question in a moment about what we said, but that's a lot, that's a lot more eyes on this issue than a lot of things we've seen. In other words, are people, that's Fox News, and they've sometimes ignored it, although malusion has been pretty good, but it's Elon Musk who's saying, look at this. Now, I suspect Musk, if you could pin him down, he also liked the action of the fact that Twitter is sort of responding to a, a, a White House dump and he's in the middle of it. But are you seeing more attention? On these issues, even over the holidays. Well, I I am.
3: Uh, I'm seeing MSNBC uh, was talking about it over the holiday uh, days. They had some people on. Yep. Uh, I saw I saw um, Martha Raddick uh, ask about it in an interview. You know, but uh, they they're not asking the right questions. You can tell they don't understand anything about it. It's almost as though it's just now happened uh, that it's something brand new and so there's no context or history to it to what they're seeing and they don't really know how to think about it so they're leaving a lot of confusion in the wake of whatever reports that they do so I I hope that they'll get it straightened out I don't think that they ever will Um, they're probably just going to go with the uh, party line uh, all the gaslighting that's happening about it it's not our fault. It's Trump's fault, uh, you know, all that kind of thing. So I don't know if more uh, coverage is better or worse, actually. So we'll see.
1: Well, and that's so. now back to my first question. I'm sorry I did that to you. But uh, the first question is when you saw these number numbers, you're you're used to this, meaning you've been covering it for years now and especially the last, say, 12 to 15 months. Um were you surprised or is this standard and and, you know basically what you expected and then um, is the reaction among people that are covering this um, different than before Uh, you know in so far as there is a community of people who are looking at it they are going huh okay or is it just sort of like here we go it's just a a hammer drops every month and we we end up with this uh, these numbers
3: I think that 200,000 a month is going to be ancient history pretty soon I think we're going to be Looking at uh, like December and January might very well be in the uh, four hundred thousand range. We'll see. Uh, I mean, the intelligence community was predicting twelve thousand to eighteen thousand a day once once everybody got access to asylum. Uh, that is three forty to five twenty a month. So it just remains to be seen if that's actually going to happen or. Uh, if, because the administration has been slowly whittling down the percentage of people that they're pushing back under 42, uh, from 60% on inauguration day, they reduced it from 90% to 60% on inauguration day.
1: Wait, explain that though, Todd, Todd, explain, explain that a little more clearly. What, what uh, What what does that mean when they change that?
3: Title 42 was supposed to be a, a instant expulsion for 100% of everybody Border Patrol caught. It goes right back to Mexico without asylum, without claiming asylum. So the reason that we have the crisis that we have right now is because Biden came in and reduced that percentage of pushbacks from 90% to
2: 60%,
3: then to 50%, then to 40%, And now it's 30 percent as of uh, the November numbers show that it was that it's 30 percent. So the percentage of people that were even being pushed back under Title 42 has just rapidly declined from inauguration day to today. And that is the reason for this crisis as it stands, what will happen when the final 30 percent goes away remains to be seen those 30 percent the people that make up those 30 percent are typically central americans you know guatemalans and hondurans and salvadorans so those people um are you know backed up in their countries in huge numbers waiting for title 42 to go away so that they can come and they have shown in the past that they can come in very very large numbers So that's kind of what I'm looking at is, you know, what are the Central Americans going to be doing here? Are are we going to have a population transfer or what? Uh, you know how much are they going to
1: come? So, but to, to to say that. So back to putting those, uh, putting my the two parts of my earlier question together. Then, um, part of the problem is when you see coverage that says, "Oh wow, uh, you know, three hundred thousand people or whatever the total number is coming across the border." Your point is, since inauguration, the Title Forty Two has been eliminated anyway, even if it wasn't because they just have slowly said, "You know, uh, don't send one hundred percent back, send ninety percent." Well, that was what Trump was doing. Then, since Biden says. Let's Sends sixty percent by today. It's thirty percent, and so you're covering the kind of end point of a process. And you, and your expectation is they're going to go from thirty percent down to very small percent uh, by in, in the new year. And again. Um, is there any do you have any sense that um people that don't understand this problem, meaning the public, are going to be represented by people in Congress who don't really do things unless they think the public is paying attention? So is there are you seeing anything that makes you say, aha, these guys and gals up in the new Republican House get it? Or uh maybe Joe Manchin and some Democrats who don't want to lose their election in a couple of years get it? Is there are you seeing anything like that?
3: Not yet. Um, they, they skated uh, through the midterm pretty well without, without heavy damage. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking that there will be, well, you know, we didn't really, we didn't get bitten too badly uh, on, on the midterm, even though, you know, we have this historic crisis. So, you know, but now the question is, will we lose the White House over this? In 2024, once Title 42 is completely gone and we have cities across America start to declare emergencies like we're seeing now and asking for federal bailouts, Uh, you know, we just had we just saw Denver, uh, which is far away from the border in the Rocky Mountains, um, declare, you know, in a state of emergency from all the immigrants coming in by bus and new york is asking for a billion dollar bailout and uh this is just the beginning of that i think we can expect to see a whole lot of cities start to ask for federal bailouts and then it becomes kind of more of a in-your-face crisis right i see Uh, in middle america so i'm hoping maybe that'll attract attention i don't know And maybe somebody will do something. But but I I will say this, the narratives that I'm hearing from Democrats and from Democratic mayors uh, is that this is something that just kind of, you know, you know, got started because of something Trump kind of did and broke the system. And, uh, you know, (laughs) it's like nobody really understands that this has been going on since inauguration day and not one minute earlier. And it has not never stopped since inauguration day. We're almost two years into this thing, and nobody really knows why. Uh, I think on that side, we do. I just wrote a book about why. Hopefully, it'll get out there and you know help help uh, inform when the new Congress comes in and starts holding hearings on this.
1: Um, the book, by the way, I should mention, uh, thank you for doing that, Todd. We're talking with Todd Bensman, uh, who's over at the Center for Immigration Studies, CIS.org. Uh, his book is called Overrun. It's titled Overrun, How Joe Biden Unleashed the Greater the Greatest Border Crisis in U.S. History uh, from Post Hill Press. If you go to ToddBensman.com, you can see uh, ways to buy it. His earlier book was called America's Covert Border War, uh, also really good. So, um, okay, Todd, uh, get, what, what's a marker, um, what's coming in terms of dates that you will, we will hear or See something? I mean, I know things can interrupt, right? There could be a, a crisis, or God help us, uh, God forgive us, God don't let it happen. A Kate steinley situation where something dramatic catches the news. But absent something like that, um, what is that? What are the what are the what are the, um, what are the upcoming uh, dates that will matter? Is there a date when we're going to really see the bottoming out of uh, Title Forty Two? Is there a, a date that already scheduled where there's going to be a hearing or something that you think will get some attention? Give us give us something out in the next couple months that. Matters. Matters if there is something you can see yet?
3: Well, uh, you know, the first thing that we'll start to see is, uh, you know, you've got El Paso, which is just a catastrophe. It happens to be an inflection point geographically where large numbers are already coming through even people targeted by title 42 are still saying ah what are you going to do okay. uh, you know and they're just yeah. coming through those are the people sleeping in the streets and on right. buses and everywhere
1: right
3: uh and we should start to see uh, maybe after the supreme court finally strikes it down and the border actually opens up for asylum for all then we w- we should start to see that happen in places like tijuana Uh, reynosa mexico matamoras across from brownsville you should start to see other cities experience what you're seeing in el paso that could happen in the next few days or the next few weeks and then um it should just stay like that it should just be like a, a crush of humanity uh and then the new congress will come in and you'll see an immediate uh setting of hearings for the border, about the border, different aspects of the border, investigative committees and that sort of thing. So uh, I think 2023 will be filled with lots and lots of migrants crossing illegally and being let in, cities declaring emergencies and asking for federal bailouts and congressional hearings on the uh, Republican side.
1: Okay, well, um, thank you for uh, hanging in there um, during the holidays uh, and, and digging in. Again, uh, com is where you can go to see uh, more about his book, Overrun, How Joe Biden Unleashed the Greatest Border Crisis in U.S. History. Thank you, Todd. We'll talk again, I think, very yeah, soon. Ed, and, uh, yeah, go ahead. Uh-huh. Okay, yeah, and I'll also just
3: point out I'm I'm uh, going to go into Mexico tomorrow okay. for the next week, and you can oh. follow me on uh, Twitter and uh Truth Social and Getter as I live tweet and I'll be producing reports as well along
1: the way. Okay. At it's at Benzman Todd on Twitter on Getter and Truth. Is it the same or is it a, a, a different Uh it's T T
3: Bensman at Getter and Getter. Todd Bensman at Truth.
1: Okay, good. Well I'll make sure to put
3: them on. And up. I'll try to keep up yeah. I'll try to keep up with it uh, you know, as I'm as I'm on the
1: road. Okay. Good. Well, listen. Be careful. Be safe out there. Thank you. And uh, well, twenty twenty three will be interesting. I'm not sure yet. We can say it's a, a good new year, but we'll, we'll we'll root for the best. We'll see what happens. So, thanks, Todd Benz. We appreciate you. Take care. All right. We'll take a break, everybody, and we will be uh, right back. Uh, I'll put all that up on social media in the next couple of days. I'll make sure that I on my social media that I push out there, and we'll see what Todd's up to. Uh, valuable, valuable investigative reporter. Be right back. Ed Martin here on the ProMark Report. Back in a moment.
0: This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, the conservative pro-family broadcast of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, a leading voice for the sanctity of life, traditional education, the Constitution, and American sovereignty. And now, from the archives of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, here is Phyllis Schlafly.
4: Feminists have been claiming that certain words and phrases are discriminatory, but a recent feminist list takes the prize for silliness. We've heard for decades that it's wrong to mention only the male gender. There's nothing new about feminists demanding that we use the clumsy he or she or replace chairman with chairperson. But now they've broadened their complaints. The phrase, you guys, is now discouraged at McAllister College, where students are told that such phrases have an oppressive impact on our culture. Duke University launched a campaign against man up, which supposedly implies that only men can be strong. And we've now been told that even the phrase founding fathers is sexist because it refers only to men, even though we all know that all the founding fathers actually were men. It used to be that you could avoid the scorn of the feminists if you mentioned both genders, but not anymore. The Women's Media Center says that even husband and wife and men and women are problem phrases unless you make sure to alternate which gender you mention first. Ladies and gentlemen is also out. The correct word, surprise, surprise, is gentlewomen. Other words are forbidden not because they themselves are sexist, but because they're supposedly used more often to describe women, and that's said to be degrading. Examples include aggressive, feisty, opinionated, and spirited. A simple Google search shows these words are used just as often about men, but the feminists take offense anyway. The feminists spend a lot of their energy attacking men as unnecessary and oppressive. They demand that we overthrow what they call the patriarchy. On the other hand, it obviously is pretty easy for feminists to claim they have been offended.
0: This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. For more than 50 years, Phyllis led the fight against the dead-end road of radical feminism. Today, with the rise of so many savvy young conservative women, new voices are emerging. You're invited to voice your opinion on what's really important to women at phyllisschlafly.com. That's phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for listening, and join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly Report.
1: Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Hey, let's do a 30-second thank you. 30-second thank you. I went long on interviews and conversations, so let me just say thank you to a couple of people, especially in San Diego, Noah Dingley, our producer, Steve Brodsky, who runs the Answer San Diego, Andrea K, my colleague there, all just so supportive. Thank you for all you do, especially Noah, uh, but the whole team there. Also, thank you to Ryan Height, my associate producer, for all he does, and thank you for listening. Got to run, Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Talk to you
0: soon.